Tonight is a lean-in night, so if you're leaning out, you can lean out the door. Otherwise, I'm going to have you lean in now because that just came to me, but it was good, wasn't it? You're welcome. <laughs> but it's going to be a good night, and we're, we're continuing our series tonight called Practice. And uh, the big idea with this is that we are practicing daily things that we need to do in order to actually faithfully and successfully follow Jesus. If you didn't know, I will inform you that the reason that we gather here every single week at Undivided is because we believe that there's a God in heaven who gave everything for us because he wanted to let us know that he loves us so much. Are you thankful for that tonight? The reason that we gather is to acknowledge him and to lift him up and really to not only acknowledge his existence, but acknowledge that his way is better than ours. If you acknowledge God, but you're unwilling to acknowledge his way, then you are disacknowledging God. Let me be very clear. If you believe in God, but you don't want to believe in the way of God, then you have a different God that you're believing in. Because Jesus came not only to establish his name as the ultimate authority, but the reputation that comes along with it. So if Jesus is only worthy of being worshipped with our hands and with our eyes and with our words, but not with our lives, then he is not the Jesus that died for me so that I would know that there's a better way to go than what I've been going. Can I hear an amen? And so you have to acknowledge that there's a better way. And if there's a better way, then there's a worse way. And if there's a worse way, don't, that's what River was talking about. Don't go the worst way. It's a bummer. Go the better way. But if you want to go the better way, there are certain things that will help you to go the better way, and there will be certain things that will hinder you from going that better way. I want to read a scripture out of Romans 12. It's a, it's a, a, a pretty prominent passage of scripture. It's the Apostle Paul who started much of the New Testament church, is the reason we're here today, wrote half of the New Testament saying, I urge you, in light of everything he says, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, we're family here, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Other translations say, your reasonable service. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then... Everyone say then. Then you'll be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to speak tonight on this idea of worship isn't weird. If you're taking notes, you can write, worship isn't weird. Turn to your neighbor and say, you worship weird. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I like to watch you worship. Now, whoever said that to you, turn back to them and say, you're weird. <laughs> Newsflash, you're all weird. Let's pray and uh, let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us tonight. Dear, 
God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here. And uh, God, we're in awe of the fact that you gave us everything so that we could know life and know life to the fullest. God, we just pray that you would, from the inside out, change us, that we would leave different than when we came. We don't want to be who we used to be. We want to get closer to who you're calling us to be. But we thank you that even in that, that we are not identified by our calling, but by the one who calls us, who is Jesus. We thank you for that. We love you, God. We honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. How many of you, you ever had a, a you, how many of you grown up in church? Anyone grown up in church? I did. A lot of us? Okay. How many, well, I don't need you to raise your hand. I know there's a lot of people in here who maybe you've been away from church or you grew up having gone to church, but church wasn't a weekly or a regular part of your life. But if you're like me, you've been around enough church environments where you've had some amazing encounters with God, but you've also been around some real whack worship times. Anyone ever been in a weird worship place? Well, I remember one time, we, the church that I went to when I was in Bible college, uh, big church, great church, great people, and they, uh, but it was a big church, and the bigger you get, the more options or opportunities there are for some weird people to make their way in. Like, we're not that, like, we got, we got a good amount of people here, but a lot of you are really weird. So a bigger church means there's a lot of weird people. And I remember we're at this event, and we're there, and it's a worship thing, and I remember we're towards the front, and there's this guy right in front of us who all of a sudden, he bends down. I'm in worship, and I'm not, this just kind of happened in slow motion because worship, funny, weird moments, they happen in slow motion. I don't know if you knew that. They always happen in slow motion. But this moment, this guy bends down and reaches under his chair, and he pulls out this massive shofar. I'm talking like, it's six feet long, and it's, it's like this horn. It's like this Old Testament trumpet, okay? But it's not like, if it would have been a trumpet, that would have been just even funnier. But he pulls it out, and he's looking around waiting for people to see him. And he, gets, he, he, he finds the right moment during the break in the song. You know that part where it's about to build up, but it's the lull for a second? You know, a good grace, it's like, it's the, the before, uh, it's that in-between part, swing wide. You know, just right then. So it's, pretend it's good grace. And he pulls it out, and he, he goes, and it, what's a movie that has a shofar? Like the Lord of the Rings. Okay, picture this is Lord of the Rings. And all of a sudden, he just turns around, and there's a couple thousand people here, and he turns around facing the entire crowd, and he just starts to, That's the best I can that's the best I can describe it. And it was the weirdest It was the weirdest thing ever. Or there's another time this other guy we're in worship similar environment and he just it's like the same thing. When any one does something weird, like they got tambourines or they got flags that they want to fly, I'm not judging. I'm just saying it's not my flave. But anytime they do that, anytime they do that, they always look around to see can I get maximum impact here? And so this guy looks around and he just starts doing this.
pulls another arrow out. And he's shooting what I can only describe as spiritual warfare arrows all around the congregation, just... And you can feel his, his he's like, oh, 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 God was in that one, ooh. And he's shooting these spiritual arrows just for the whole song. It was the weirdest, most amazing experience I've ever had. I remember we used to have this guy at our church, bless his heart. He, he wanted to be known. He wanted his presence to be known. And so he would stand right about where Christian is right here, right back there, kind of in the back middle section. And, and he'd stand there if it was the equivalent. This is when we were at a high school. We met at Kent Lake High School. And it was right in the middle of the main area. And he's this tall guy with a deep, loud voice. You can hear him if he's coming in. If he's talking out there, you hear him. And he would echo every song. So he would, like, you'd sing, and then he'd echo your words. And so if it's like, our, it's like, our God, our God is an awesome God. He, he reigns from heaven above with, with wisdom, power. And he'd echo it all, but he would do so so loudly that you could hear it from the drum set. I'm playing drums on worship. 90 whatever hundred decibels. I'm playing and I can hear him all the way on the other side of the drum cage deep into the audience. I can hear his singing echo. I'm like, that's the reason no one wants to come to church. It's like weird people like you. But the funny thing is, is we worship and worship environments and church environments, sometimes if we're being honest with ourselves even if we look inward, can get kind of weird. It can make no sense. It can look odd to an outsider. It can look like something like, where did that ritual or that mode of expression or whatever it is, where did that come from? But if we're not careful, we will say, in efforts to not be weird, we will completely lose the meaning behind things that have been set in motion from the long before we were here that have spiritual significance that when we do them, it's not just an outward thing, but it unlocks something inward. Are you with me? If we're not careful, we will, under, we will underplay the significance of outward expression of worship and miss what God is trying to teach us by setting those patterns in place. My goal for us is that we would understand worship and that tonight as we talk practically that we would have some things that we can do so that we can live out a lifestyle and an expression of worship to the God who is worthy of it. Because by all means, God is worthy of your worship. I don't know if you knew that, but Jesus gave everything. This scripture says... In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. Notice he doesn't say, worship, offer you everything, give everything to God because he's worthy, which he is. But not only was he worthy because of who he is and his character, but he demonstrated why he's worthy. 
that he gave everything so that you and I would know that we are loved by God. And it is just, it makes sense for us to respond with a life of worship. Your mission in life is to live a life that glorifies God. That's it. And we're either doing it or not doing it. Now, I will be the first to stay as I stand, as I stand here on, on this platform. I will be the first to say that I am not perfect. You know that. That's a given. But be, even beyond that, I, th- there are things that we as humans do to, to cause ourselves to not be worthy of what God did which is why even all the more that we worship God because it is his mercy that we worship because of. We don't worship for the mercy of God. We don't worship to earn God's love or earn God's mercy. We worship because God already gave it to us. Are you thankful tonight that God was merciful with you before you deserved his mercy, before you asked for it, before you worshiped? In fact, You could never worship again and God would have done it all over again because you're worthy of it because he created you with a purpose and he's not willing that any should perish. So he gave everything so that you could know life and life more abundantly. God gave everything for us. So the reason that we worship is because he's worthy of it. But not only that, it's because he has been merciful to us and it is our reasonable response. This idea of worship It's this word, it means to acknowledge the one that you're serving. Write this down. To worship is to acknowledge. To worship is to acknowledge. To put yourself, this is another definition, to put yourself in the proper place in relation to the one that you're serving. Like, what if you went up to your boss or to your teacher and said, you're going to give me an A, because I want it. Thanks. And your teacher, what would they do? They would laugh at you. Why? Because you're not the teacher. You're not in charge. To worship is to put yourself in the proper position. We get it out of whack when we put ourselves on equal playing field with God. When we believe that we're in charge of our lives, we believe that we deserve God's mercy, we believe that we get to dictate where we're going, we, we, we start to take charge, what we're doing is we're taking ourselves out of our proper place, which removes ourselves from the blessing that God wants to give us. And every time that we put ourselves on that pedestal, we remove ourselves from what God wants to do for us. See, worship is to acknowledge the proper place is to remind yourself who's boss. Guess what? You're not. I'm not. God is. And we don't like to think of that because we, we think, okay, God, you know, he's so merciful, but we don't ever like to think of him as king. But guess what? He's king whether we like it or not. And me acknowledging him or not doesn't change the fact that he's king. So the best thing I can do is simply acknowledge it so I can position myself in a place where I understand who he is. And by understanding who he is, I now understand who I am in light of who he is and what he's done for me. Worship is acknowledging who's boss. Paul says, don't conform 
to the pattern of the world. But let, this is how I like to rephrase it. Let renewal transform you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let renewal transform you. Let renewal, let change change you. It says, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word pattern means to, uh, to be a mold or a rhythm. And this is what I want us to understand about worship. Is that worship is not just a thing that we do, but it's a rhythm that we live in. Okay, so a lot of people, like, the surface way to say it is, worship's not just a, a Sunday or a Wednesday thing, it's a lifestyle. That's true. But how I'd like to say it a little bit better is worship is a pattern or a rhythm, right? When you get out of sync, what happens? You ever had a car where it's misaligned? Me neither. Um, or where something is out of alignment, what, it does, what does it do? Over time, it starts to magnify how badly it's aligned. Because the longer you drive on it, the more you start to veer. Whereas if you would have fixed it, got back in alignment from the beginning, your tires wouldn't have worn as fast. You'd be able to stay straight. But when you get out of alignment, it starts to get you off track. What happens is when we get out of the pattern of worship, out of the pattern of renewing our minds, out of the pattern of understanding who we are and who God is, when we get out of that pattern, we start to go in a direction that we do not want to go. We, it's so funny to me because so many of us say, I want to grow, I want God to change my life, I want to be different, I want to be kind, I want to change the world, I want to, you know, you know see ah, whatever it is, social issues fixed. And we can do a lot of virtue signaling and talking, but at the end of the day, we've got to look at the rhythm of our life because that will tell us what trajectory we're on. We don't like to admit it, but if we're being honest, the rhythm says one thing, even though our voice says another. I want this, but guess what? You're all talk, you're no business. You mean nothing that you say. There's no fruit in your life. In fact, the fruit says the opposite. And not only that, you may be misaligned right now, but misalignment quickly turns into tragedy, doesn't it? Because if you're not careful, a misaligned car can turn into a rolled car. And I'm not trying to push on any buttons, but what I'm simply saying is when you're out of rhythm, if you're not careful and get back in rhythm, you go to a place that you do not want to go. And I'm tired of seeing people say that they want change, say that they want new things, say that they believe in God, but they don't want to have a rhythm and a pattern of worship. And if you want sustainable change in your life, friends, I make, make no mistake, you must get in a pattern in a rhythm, not a one-time thing, not a Wednesday thing, but a daily, every single moment and breath of your life where you understand who God is and you understand who you are. You are not in charge of your life. God is. But when we get out of alignment, we, we take God's ability to protect us. We, we limit it because we get outside of the sync and the rhythm and the alignment of what God has designed for us for our benefit 
We look at worship and all of these things and we think it's so restrictive. No, it is the very thing that will free you. I love what River was talking about. He was saying those choices, you become a slave to those choices. Haven't you noticed that everyone who feels more free and feels more open and gets to do whatever they want, they're more depressed, they're more afraid, they're more anxious, they're more poor, and everything doesn't work for their lives. Why? Because they become a slave to their out of alignment. And you will always be a slave to your alignment. Which alignment do you want to be a slave to? I'd rather be a slave to the person who can get me to the place that he's called me to go, which is so much better than anything I could drum up on my own. You'll become a slave to your alignment. You'll become a slave to your choices. You'll become a slave to your perspective. So what do you want to be a slave to? Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What is they saying? Turn yourself into someone who is out of charge, not in charge. Turn yourself into someone who is at the subject and at the mercy of someone else. Put yourself in its proper place. Worship is to remind yourself who God is. Because here's the thing. I love the song. We're going to sing it later. Who am I to think that your glory needs my praises? As if God needs my worship to remind himself of who he is, he's pretty confident in who he is. Whether I ever worship again, Jesus is still the name that is above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Whether you do it now or you do it when you stand at the gate, your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no name in heaven or earth that is below us, around us, that we've heard or ever will hear again that is above the name of Jesus. That is the only name worth following, worth worshiping, worth confessing, worth looking to. That's it. There's nothing else. And you can go and do whatever you want. I give you permission as if it's my choice. Do whatever you want. Give your body and your life and your perspective to anyone you want, but you will always come up wanting until you get in rhythm with a worship of the one who is better and bigger and beyond you, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one who's worthy. That's it. So what we've got to do is we've got to understand that worship is getting back in rhythm with an understanding of who God is and who we are. God is God. I'm not. You're not. This is kind of freaky, but it's also so freeing because it takes the pressure off of you to design your life because there is one who already designed it. And like they said earlier, he's got your best at heart. God knows what he's doing, and he loves you so freaking much. It's not even funny. You thankful for that tonight? That God's not trying to control you, he's trying to set you free. And that's why he created patterns that keep you in rhythm and get you momentum and move you forward. So we worship because of God's mercy. It's got to be a pattern. And uh, this is where we get to the practical. We're going to end tonight in worship. And I want to encourage you, and we're going to, it'll be in a few minutes. But I want to encourage you as we think of this. That it's never about creating a behavior, but it's simply about 
getting in a rhythm. I want you to hear that. This last four weeks, we've talked about the rhythm and the pattern of the, the discipline, right, the practice of community. We talked about the practice of prayer, the practice of getting in God's word. The practice of all, all these things, what they do is they get us in a rhythm. I can know John's 3.16, John's, John 3.16, and if you know it, you say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I know I said it too fast for you. I'm a professional Christian. You're welcome. But the beauty of God's word and the beauty of how God works in moments is that he gives us enough to keep us going but not to keep us forever. He gives us enough to keep us going that we might need to stay in step with God. Scripture says that if you stay in step with the Spirit, or if you walk with the Spirit, what that literally means is if you're walking in rhythm with God, as a result of walking in rhythm with God, the result of that is you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. So guess what? Raise your hand if you've ever gratified the desires of your sinful nature. I'm lifting mine up. Some of you, it's like, yeah, like three minutes ago. Guess what? When we do that, what, we're, what are we doing? We're reminding ourselves that we are out of alignment. But God is inviting us back into alignment. How do you get in alignment? You worship. Because what does worship do? It takes your eyes off of you and it puts your focus off the one who is bigger than you, gets you back in rhythm with God, whose mercy is new every day. He makes you fresh, makes you clean, makes you brand new. The old is gone. All things are made new. And it is amazing. So what, what do we do? We worship so that we can get back in rhythm with God. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. To get in rhythm with God. I don't want to worship Wednesdays. I want worship to be a reflection of my rhythm with God every day. And God's not mad at you or judging you or pointing his finger at you. If you're out of rhythm, he's inviting you back into rhythm. And I hope that we always know that. Because sometimes I can stand up here and preach and we can talk and correct and we, you know, we, 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 we nudge people and try and encourage them toward respect and honor and all of these different things and worship and you know, jumping in with the culture or whatever it is. And it can sometimes feel like we're trying to, to, to you know, to create this pattern of, of behavior. And it's not about that. But what it is about is getting in rhythm with God and in his way so that you can see what he has for you. That's my heart as a dad, as a youth pastor. My hope is that when Hayden, when Jude, and when our unknown whatever they are, gets a little older, that they wouldn't know what we taught them, but that they would walk with God. That's my heart. I'm sitting, putting Hayden down two nights ago, and I'm laying in bed, getting her to go to sleep. And I said, do you want to pray? She said, yes, let me say the memory verse. I hadn't heard this memory verse yet. And she memorized this verse. And she sat up and she folded her hands and she bowed her head. And um, she said, uh, I'm trying to remember it. 
I, 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 don't, I want to pull up the video. I don't have it ready for you, but it was so precious. And she said, Genesis 1.31. And it was the most precious thing. And it was so cool for me as a dad to see something flowing out of a rhythm that she's been taught. The reason I stayed in church is because of what I saw on my four-year-old's bed two nights ago. I'm not going to rob her of a rhythm with God. I'm going to keep her in step with God because I know that just like me, she can't do it on her own. And as much as I'm a great dad and she's got an even better mom, that we are imperfect. And she needs a God who she's walking with so that she can achieve what God has called her to. You can't do this on your own, friend. You've got to get in a pattern, in the rhythm, in a step with God. How do you get back in alignment? How do you get back in rhythm? It's worship. I'll give you five things that will help you to get back in rhythm. Back in rhythm. These are very practical and they will seem like it's kind of uh, a, a dud point. It's not really a zing. It's not a good one-liner. But they're biblical patterns that will help you to get in rhythm. God will never ask you to do something outward that doesn't have an inward significance. I feel... And maybe this is just something that dropped on my heart. I feel that there are some people in here who you've separated the outward and the inward. And God is trying to tell you tonight that they are actually oh so linked. And your unwillingness to deal with the outward is what is keeping your inward dark. And until you're willing to change the outward, you're limiting God, his ability to change you on the inside. Because we like to say, well, it's the inside out. Well, it's actually the outside in as well. Scripture said it's first the natural, then the spiritual. Because my willingness to do an outward thing, what it does is exposes an inward intent. And if I'm not willing to change something on the outside, I'm limiting what can change on the inside. So what I want to do is do outward things not for the sake of doing the outward thing, but for the sake that it might do something on the inside that would then make its way out. So, there's significance to outward things. Number one, sing. Sing. One of the best things that you can do to get back in rhythm with God as you worship is sing. Something happens when you sing. Go with me. Like imagine if you're, maybe you're standing at the altar and uh, I go back to my wedding date, May 24th, 2008. And I pictured, I thought through this today, I thought it would be really funny. Like, what if Noelle's up there and we do the vows and, and she, reads, she repeats hers and, and then the pastor says to me, Taylor, would you repeat after me? And he starts saying it and I just don't say anything. He says, I, Taylor, 
You asked my name. Well, you're supposed to, well, she already knows it. Yeah, but that's kind of not the point. The point is, you know, got all these people here, dude. You're supposed to make them tear up here by the emotion, and you got to say it. Well, she's heard me say it before. I mean, I don't need to say it for her to know it. If we're arguing about whether we should sing or say or express, if it comes back to that, then I'm afraid that we're really just asking the wrong question. Our intentions are the entirely wrong place. Like if, if I... If I'm saying, like, I, I, I don't know, I don't, I'm just not that way. Guess what? You have a mouth. So, yes, you are that way. Because God set a pattern in Scripture and an invitation. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to worship. But do you want to get back in rhythm with God? Then you do. If you want to get in rhythm with God, then there's got to be an outward expression. This is why the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. Why? Because it's not just about what you believe in your heart, but it's putting words to it. You've got to put words to what you say is in here. This is the reason we sing all of these great songs. It's because there's something that happens. Excuse me, I burped. There's something that happens on the inside. There's something that happens on the inside when you sing outwardly. And not only that, when we come together and with one voice lift up the name of Jesus. Something that happens. This is why God invites us to sing. How can I use, this is, this is what ought to be our intent. I don't know what words to use, so I'm just going to say whatever I can because it's the least I can do to adequately express how much I love God because of what he's done for me, because of who he is, because of what he's done in my past, because of the fact that he's redeemed me for who he is and his character and his greatness and, and, and his, his worthiness and how much I need him and my gratitude for his mercy. What am I doing by singing, what I'm doing is I'm reminding myself of who God is and who I am because of who God is. Are you with me tonight? This is why we sing. It's not about the action of you opening your mouth. It's not about whether you have a good voice or not. It's not about whether you feel like you should or you can sing. It's not about whether people can hear you or not. It's a simply what it does as you say it, what comes out of here. If you've ever had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, guess what? There's a point that had to come in your relationship where you said what you felt. If you didn't know that, then you're really in for some bad relationships. Because eventually... You have to acknowledge what's in here. What if? What if you're dating this person and you just want them to feel it? And they say, do you like me? What do you think? They're going to run. 
Because you have to vocalize it. There's got to be something that comes out of your mouth. If you don't speak it, if you don't sing it, guess what? It, it becomes this thing that stays inside. It never becomes a reality. There's something about your confession. There's something about singing to God. There's something about acknowledging outwardly, like, who am I, God, to think that you, you need my praises. But if this borrowed breath is yours, then you can have it. It's the least I could do to lift up your name because you're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my honor. The least that I can do, God, is, is give you my life because I, I'm nothing in comparison to who you are. But because of who you are, God, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, and I'm a new person. I, I ran out of that grave. I was dead in my transgressions. I was dead in my sin. My past made me, my life sucked. I was broken. I was messed up. I was high on my own fumes. But now, God, you made me new. So I'm so thankful. The least I can do is vocalize it to you tell you how much I love you, God. And even though I'm worshiping you now, I know that my love for you and your approval of me has nothing to do with the words I'm singing. It has everything to do with your mercy that beat me to the punch. So I'm worshiping you because of your mercy. Are you getting what I'm saying? The reason we sing is because God is worthy of it. And when we do it, it creates this reality because it's not just something that we're afraid of, that we're timid about, that we're hiding, but we are confused. Confessing it into existence. Number two. Number one is sing. Number two is lift your hands. This is something we like to do in our kind of church. And, you know, every church is different. And, again, it's never about the outward thing. I love what David says in Psalm 141. It says, I called you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Let, let my lifting of my hands not be about my hands. Let it be about worship. Let it be about sacrifice to you, God. Remember the first time, it's probably seven or eight years old, with my parents in a night service in our church, Grew up in church my whole life. And I remember we'd heard about it, we'd seen it. And, but I remember the first time on my own volition that I lifted my hands out of a, just, I felt compelled. I remember exactly where I'm standing in that sanctuary in about 1992, or 91 maybe. And I'm standing there in between my mom and my dad. And I remember I'm sitting on the chair at first, I'm playing on my Game Boy. And I'm playing it. And something told me to just put it down. So I put it down, I stood up, and I'm looking. And I start singing. And I see my parents fully engaged. They're not aware of me. And something happened where I just felt like, I just need to lift my hands. I don't know why, but I just did. I remember the first time I did it, I went like this. And if you've ever not lifted your hands in worship, it can be kind of intimidating. So you do the halfway. Or like this, or like this, you know. There's all sorts of different moves I'll teach you. I remember I did this, and I just went, I just went all the way. And I remember I felt a tear, and at that point I had to go back to my Game Boy because I wasn't really sure what to do with emotions yet. I was seven, okay? And so, but there was something that activated in me. Because 
And I need you to write this. I need you to remember this. Every time we worship, every time we invite you to lift your hands, it's never a command. Lifting your hands has no significance unless you let it have significance. Because it's not about your hands, friends. It's not about your words. It's not about your eloquence. It's not about your outfit. It's not about how you look. It's not about your freaking voice. It's about your posture before God. And when you lift your hands, you know what you're doing? Is you're exposing your heart and you're offering up a sacrifice. You're offering up a sacrifice to God who is worthy of that sacrifice. The reason that this is different than this is because it takes effort. David said to God, he said about God, he's, he gets this opportunity to get a discount, to really get a free sacrifice to God so that he can offer up worship on this hill. And David said this, it's so profound. He says, how dare I ever consider giving God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. And some of us, we want our worship to be free and cost us nothing. Friends, it is your reasonable service to give everything that you've got. Yeah. It's your reasonable service. To, if you've got to lift your hands, if you've got to get on your freaking knees, if you've got to lay down, prostrate before the Lord and make everybody else think you're a fool, then do whatever it takes to posture yourself before God because he's worthy of it. And if you're not willing to sacrifice, then you're not going to get the results of the sacrifice. You want the result of the sacrifice, but you don't want to give it. You want the results that happen as a result of worship. You want the fruit of worship, but you don't want to worship. You want it to be in your own comfort, and your own style, and your own stuff. But can I tell you, it doesn't matter the style, the loudness, the goodness of the worship. It doesn't matter how good their voice is. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. All that matters is your posture in your sincere heart before a real God that says, God, I'm not worthy of your mercy, but I'm thankful that you gave it to me before I deserved it. So God, if I got to lift my hands, if I got to kneel down, if I've got to put my hands in my face and just say, God, I don't get it all, but I love you so much. You're so worthy of my worship. I'll give you my life. And I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I thank you that you, before I was perfect, you gave me everything, so this is the least I can do. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that when I truly was broken and dead in my transgressions, thank you that when I went back on what I said I would do, thank you for every time that I honored or dishonored you, when I disrespected you, when I disrespected people, when I was a jerk to my mom, when I did all of those different things, that you saw me and you saw it fit to give everything so that you, I could know that I'm loved by you so that I could get back in alignment with you, back in step with your spirit, so I could live a life of purpose that honors you. Are you with me tonight? It's not about you. It's not about your stupid hands. Sorry, your, your hands are great. It's not about your feet, not about your voice, not about your words. It's about your posture of your heart. And some of us, this reveals more than just what our hands are doing. It reveals the posture of our heart. No wonder people don't want to give you any respect. Because your posture says you don't respect. Your posture says, I don't honor. Your posture says, I only give what is given to me. Your life is a transaction. And everything that you do is only done when you're guaranteed something in return. Let me give you a guarantee what you can get in return of worship. 
When you worship, you're guaranteed peace. When you worship, you're guaranteed purpose. When you're worship, you're guaranteed to get your eyes fixed on something that's much bigger than yourself. If you want a guarantee, if you want something back, then worship the one who has the ability to give it to you. Because he's worthy. Not only is he worthy, but he's able. And some of us, it's time to stop messing around. It's time to get out or step up. It's time to say, God, I'm not worshiping you about my worship. I'm worshiping you because you're worthy and because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and I know that you created me and before I was even formed in my mother's womb, you knew every hair on my head. You knew every purpose in my life. You knew every decision I would make. You saw it fit to give everything so that I could know that I've got purpose on my life, that, that I'm not done yet, that God has just started with me. So God, I'll worship you with that in mind. Yeah, let's go. I want to invite the band to come forward. So many other practical things I have. Um, The third one, pause. I think it's good to pause. I don't know about you, but if you've been around long enough, you might have times where you're lifting your hands and you're aware of the person next to you. And God says, put your hands down. Let me speak to you. There have been times, man, I'll get out of the way. There have been times where I just felt compelled to sit. And I just listened, I looked at the lyrics, or I sat and I just, in a moment of intention, those of you who sit during worship, this is not your excuse to sit. Don't pretend like you're focused. Was that too harsh? Okay. Okay, I'll say it again. Again, it's, it's about the posture of your heart. Some of us, the best thing we can do is as we sing the lyrics, think about what they're saying. Think about what we're singing. That there's power in the name of Jesus. Power enough to break every chain. Everything that's held you. Some of you felt like your, your parents were addicted and so now you're addicted and you've inherited some of their sins. There's power in the name of Jesus to break that chain. But that chain has nothing on the power of God. And when you claim that name, when you call upon that name, when you confess that name, you bring on the power of God that is way greater than the power of any curse, of anything that's been on your life. It takes worship focus off of ourselves and putting it back on the Lord as they Four and five, I'll give you real quick, ignore distractions. This is the power of coming forward. This is the power of standing. This is the power of putting your phone on do not disturb. This is the power of closing your eyes. It takes your eyes off of you. Number five, thank God for who he is and what he's done best thing you can do. If you miss all those other things, you live a life reminding yourself of who God is, what he's done, what he has yet to do. Man, that'll get you jazzed every time. Because it'll take your focus off of what you did on Saturday. It'll pick up, pick your eyes back onto the one who's made you right. Jesus. So when do we worship? We worship when we feel like it. We worship when we don't feel like it. We worship when we're awake. 
worship when we're tired. We worship when we're happy. We worship when we're sad. We worship when we believe in Jesus. We worship when we doubt his existence. We worship when we've made mistakes. We worship when we're doing everything right. We worship when we're on the bus. We worship when we're in the shower. We worship when we're at church. We worship when we're sitting at a, at a table with a friend. We worship in every single moment that every breath that we have, that it is an offering to God. In every breath, in every moment, in every word, that that is an opportunity to realign ourselves with who God is and who He says that we are. Worshiping.